0: Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be. Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor.
1: Have you ever had one of those days where you woke up and asked yourself how you could disrupt an industry? And maybe even more powerfully, whether you are living a life of significance? In my conversation with Mark Benson today, who is the regional director of the Museum of the Bible and also the president at Honest Car Payment, we're going to dive deep into these two powerful questions of how we can disrupt positively our industries and really kind of innovate and think to the next major step forward. And I would say, more importantly, evaluating the answer to the question of whether we're living a life of significance and trying to answer that through major change in our life if needed. If the answer to that is, uh, is is anything but a solid yes and absolutely, uh, then, then let's make changes so that we can all live lives of significance and therefore have more of a positive impact on one another. These are the themes and thoughts that emerged during my conversation with Mark that just ended a couple minutes ago. I'm excited to hit rewind now, take you to that interview. I'm sure you'll be blessed by hearing from Mark Benson. All right. I am so pleased to welcome Mark Benson to the podcast today. He is the regional director at the Museum of the Bible and also serves as the president of Honest Car Payment. Mark, so glad you're with us. Thank you for taking time.
0: Spencer, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Appreciate you.
1: I'm already impressed. Uh, we had a planning conversation before we hit record uh, a couple weeks ago now. And I just I've thought a lot about that early conversation just because you have this natural Optimism and uh, positivity about you, just kind of the way you look at the world, uh, seems to be through clearer eyes than often is the case uh, for just different people. Maybe we can start there. As you introduce yourself, I'd love for you to to share a bit about yourself that helps us understand uh, where that comes mm-hmm. from. Uh, how come you you choose to see the world the way that you
0: do in, in such a positive light? You know what I choose to view the world. Um... In, in, frankly, one pure direction, if you'll let me. And the way I look at it is I'm honored to be here and trying to implement what God has designed me to do. And so I feel there's different stages of our lives. Uh, I've been in the car industry all of my adult life since graduating college. I've owned car dealerships all over the country. Um, I've had great opportunities. Some of them have worked very well. Others, not so much. But at the end of the day, my wife and I and our son, Patrick, took a lot of pride in creating what we call family wage jobs. And it's that ability to build a team, interact with the community for a greater good. And it's the same way that I find with the Capital C Church, that it's our desire to be involved with the Capital C Church As we're out there trying to spread the word, spread the knowledge that we have, the love that we have, that we identify with, number one. And then also to be able to bring people to understand the presence and the peace that we have through the Bible. And those are the things that we find as a true passion of what we're trying to do.
1: Oh, that is amazing. I love it. Well, so two, two big burning questions for me. Why cars and why Hawaii? (laughs) How did you end up in
0: Hawaii? Well, you know, growing up in Iowa, and Spencer, I think we may have mentioned this before, and I think you knew the answer. Iowa stands for idiots out wandering around. And I always tell people I am one. There is no doubt about it. But uh, let me answer the first question first. Number one, I got out of college in 84. I wanted to be a John Deere dealer, but ag was in such tough shape. There just wasn't an opportunity there. So I went to work for Honda corporate. They moved me all over the country. And it was with that training, I got an opportunity to become a dealer. And with that knowledge, um, it's been a springboard that we've been able to work with. We came to Hawaii in early in 12, and we were the managing partners of Honolulu Ford. The dealership had lost a million dollars a year prior to our coming. And I was, quote unquote, the last guy. Either we're going to make it go or we're not going to make it go. And it's been a quite an experience. We had the dealership for five years, and um, I can tell you that it was a great experience, and we developed tremendous relationships within the community, and that's why we stayed.
1: Boy, that's amazing. I, I love that. And again, especially that it's been uh, based on great relationships. And I know for you, again, just as you shared at the beginning uh, with your, your uh, world worldview, I guess you could say, that's built so much on your faith. Uh, before we even started this episode, uh, I shared with you that I had both of your titles that I was planning to use in the introduction. Uh, one is the President of honors par Payment. But then you asked that I put the Regional Director Museum of, Bi- of the Bible... Uh, first, because that's your primary focus right now. So I would love to also hear how that came about and and why that's such a, a passion for you to be in that
0: role. Sure, you know I think we all have those questions at two in the morning. Every one of us. I had them in my twenties and thirties, and at fifty nine years old, that question has been haunting me for quite some time. And that is, what am I doing? And am I living a life of significance? What am I doing? And it's more important than just treasure. It's more important than a house or trips. Or maybe even a little bit of fame. To me, it's I'm working for our mutual audience of one. And what does that look like? And so I've been praying for a number of years. I wanted to do something of significance. As I mentioned, I've had car dealerships, uh, a Honolulu Ford. We had a tremendous amount of success when we closed the dealership on Sundays. I upset my business partners. I upset Ford Motor Company. Everybody thought we were idiots. But you already know what happened. I mean, our sales exploded, took off, and it it just went nuts. We became the largest American car store in the state simply by honoring a biblical principle, and that was I wanted everyone on my team to embrace the Sabbath. Now, did that mean everybody had to go to church? No. If you don't want to go to church, don't go to church. Go to the beach with your family. Build relationship with community. That's what we did. We put our people and our customers first, and we were rewarded. And it's the same thing here that what we're trying to do now with the Museum of the Bible is we're in a unique time and you can be in a red state or a blue state. I don't know anyone that feels we're happy as a country right now. And I see there's a need for the Museum of the Bible to explain our history, our Judeo-Christian root, what that came from and what that means for us as a country going forward. So that's why I'm excited to be involved with the museum.
1: Terrific. I love it. Well, and I before uh, before our meeting today, I was doing some additional research, just learning more about what the museum is all about. You've been uh, I don't know if maybe this has changed present day, but based on what's on the website, it still talks about closures and things. And there's this uh, lonesome curator. I think it is a series of videos uh, that have been put out. And I was really impressed with one in particular that just talked about how there are over six thousand languages in the world. And there are still portions of the Bible that haven't have not been translated into many languages, and so there's this ongoing translation effort. So, I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is because the Museum of the Bible is not just a museum in the traditional sense of coming and looking at artifacts and learning about history, which of course is important. But there's also lots of ongoing research and some of that. So, I, I guess do you have anything there you'd like to teach us about or tell us about?
0: Well, you know, the main thing is, I'm still in awe of what they're doing. Let me just say it that way. And so as you look at it, and you mentioned, you know, we're the Great Commission is to go forth and spread the knowledge, spread the word, and you have to spread it in people's localized language, they have to understand it in a localized sense. And so as you mentioned, uh, we've got 4000 that have been localized at this point, there's another 2000 to go. And the museum's role at this point, majority of it, is helping to coordinate. So we don't have three or four or five different organizations translating into one specific language. They've been divided up and they're working together now. And the anticipation is within the next decade to be able to have everything close to completion. I don't know what it looks like, but it's close to completion. So that's on the corporate side of the museum. I'll take my museum hat off for a moment and give you the Mark's vision here we are in Hawaii. We're five thousand miles away from from the museum, and so I try to explain to my friends that my desire is to create a verb where the museum is currently a noun. I want to be able to show action. I want to show action so people can engage. And the use of technology that we have with the museum is fantastic. Recently, I took one of my best friends, business partner, decade long, uh, a relationship, decades long relationship, Sanford Jones, the museum. Sanford would tell you he is a devout agnostic and doesn't plan on changing. And he went to, uh, went to the museum kicking and screaming. He had a fantastic one and a half days and was at the very end, just said, Mark, this is the greatest museum I've ever been to in my life. And that meant a lot to me because of our relationship, but also for him to be able to see something that's so important to who we are as Americans.
1: Well, that's tremendous. I love it. And it's definitely on my list next time I'm back in that part of the country. Uh, The the museum, for those of you who may not know, is located in Washington, D.C. so it'll be yeah, just such a great uh, experience, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, thank you for educating me about it, and of course, listeners as well. It's an great thing. So I want to go back to something you said. You said that there's this, there was, and continues to be, in, I guess, at some level, this burning question of, am I living a life of significance? As you're aware, this is a leadership podcast where we like to talk about kind of these deep leadership principles, and ultimately translate that into kind of like you just said, a verb that's something we can go do something with. Um, What's, what's the formula or the what, what's going on behind the scenes do you, for you? And maybe you can teach us something about how to navigate this question for each of us. Am I living a life of significance? How do we figure that out? Like, what's the process?
0: You know, for me, I don't know that I've completely figured it out. But I think what I'm trying to do is, as I develop uh, where I want to go with my career and my family, is what is it looking like for us going forward as I'm looking through the rearview mirror? You know, in the car industry, Uh, we're judged by the number of cars we sell, how much money we make, how many car dealerships we own. There's nothing wrong with that, that I've lived that for decades, but I personally felt in a lot of the people that I associate with, I see sometimes this hole inside and that hole inside is, have you done what you need to do? And for me, it's Christianity. I could have someone that that perhaps is a Buddhist and for them has a different view. But at the end of the day, it's about what am I doing to answer what I feel is a greater calling? And so that's what I look at. It isn't just about I want to sell more cars and have more money. And like Rockefeller said, how much is enough money? Well, one more dollar. There's always one more dollar. I think that's what am I doing to make those people around me more successful? When I do that, everything else works.
1: Boy, I love that. Well, I'm, I'm curious too, if, have there, have there been, I mean, I know there have been some key experiences for you in particular, this, this uh, pivot, I guess maybe is one way to refer to it uh, to, over to the museum of the Bible, like that to me demonstrates a certain open-mindedness and a willingness to, to go where God wants you to go. Even though if, if you had like a business coach or someone who's trying to Help you climb the ladder, so to speak. That probably would not be the thing that they're like, Hey, yeah, you should go do that, but you were open to it. And now you're having this fulfilling, amazing experience of having an impact in a way that that aligns with this life of significance for you. So, I mean, what's again, what's, what's behind the scenes there? Is there anything, um, as we peel back the onion a couple layers, uh, love to understand for any who may be exploring similar questions, uh, how can they do it successfully?
0: You know, it's, uh, it's interesting when we think about it, the car industry, we all view what we do. If I was in the restaurant business, I'm sure I'd view the world through my restaurant business lens. And I view mine through the car industry lens. It wasn't about having a lot of cars outside. It wasn't about having necessarily a lot of teammates. But at the end of the day, it really came down to where and what am I making a difference in somebody's life? And so with my team, I ran car dealerships different than most. Number one, I would open my books for everybody. Now, all of my teammates. What I wouldn't say is Susie makes $12 an hour and Jimmy makes eleven fifty. dollars I wouldn't go into that level, but I would show them this is what success looks like for your department. Here's your numbers. This is how it works. These are the top dead center, like an engine. And with that information, now you go run your department. Now you grow. I'm going to send you around the country to get you more education. But at the end of the day, it's your business. So you've got to make it successful and i found that when i believed in people i gave them the information i gave them the goals they would chase the goals for themselves and for their for their team that they build around them and that's really what made us successful at the ford store uh closing on sunday was huge we were a union store since 1956 and the union contract was expired when we bought into the dealership in 2012 and one um uh, item that I would say was a covering for us or a real success for us is our 45 members of the, of the Longshoremen's Union voted to decertify the union. We went through the entire process with the feds and they came in and did a vote. And my teammates voted to vote my wife and I in and voted the union out. And it wasn't about being anti-union as much as it was of being more about pro-people. I wanted my people to see an upward trajectory, an upward ladder. They could have management jobs, ownership jobs, and I wanted them to strive and just not stay pigeonholed in one little area. And so that was quite an accomplishment, I think, to be able to do in Hawaii.
1: That's pretty amazing for sure. It's great to hear you reflect on it. So, as I'm reflecting on the last few minutes here, again, kind of going back to this idea of trying to articulate some steps or look at the formula. I love what you said about how do I want to be remembered, basically. I I, I often think of that as uh, like the headstone question. What do I I want my epitaph to be on my headstone? Or what do I want said during my eulogy kind of a thing? I think it's good to zoom out and ask some of those bigger questions. And then the, the second piece that stood out to me is that although you are and have been in the car business for many years, it wasn't necessarily about the cars themselves, but rather about how you empowered and interacted with and trusted your people it seems like there's something pretty powerful there from a leadership standpoint. I and mean, you, you kind of talked about autonomy and transparency, integrity values, for example, closing on Sunday. Like what, uh, what was it that was driving that for you, I guess, and um, helping you lead that way?
0: Well, you're going to, you're going to love this. Um, about four years ago, five years ago, we were partners in a uh, four years ago in a Chrysler store in Seattle and the Amazon employees would come in and they were three miles away. And, the, and I told my teammates anytime that an Amazon employee came in, Jeff Bezos to the guy that swept up downstairs. I want to meet him. I want to talk to him. And as I talked to their employees, I'd ask them, how long do you get in the car business? And they'd say three to five years. And I'm like, okay, so think about this for a moment. Only one in 235 people that buy an automobile enjoy or trust the transaction process. One in 235 people. Even my own mom going over the curb goes, I wonder if Mark ripped me off. So then the question is, if we had a restaurant and satisfied one in 235 people, we'd be out of business in short order. So the car industry is basically, in my eyes, an ineffective monopoly. Their state franchise laws say you have to buy from a franchise Ford dealer if you want to buy a new Ford or Honda or, or other product at the same time. Tesla's working its way around that. Nibbling at the edge is pretty, pretty big, and it'll be interesting to see what happens but see, I'm convinced the car industry itself is going to change. The consumer is going to be in charge. 30 years ago, I wanted to fly to Hawaii. I called my travel agent, LaVon. She got me a ticket. Today, I go on my phone. I get a ticket. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I wanted a video on the way home. Watch a movie tonight with a pizza. I've shot the blockbuster video, picked it up. Today, we go to just go to Netflix, right? It's changed. And here we are, the second largest transaction that any American family makes, the automobile, has been one of, um, let's just say, adversarial. And so we created a company, Honest Car Payment, because it's not a car dealership, we're a car company. And our desire is to create transparency for the consumer. So the consumer, number one, understands what they're doing. And two, we look for significant refunds. And recalculations of the loan so we can get them at a better loan and they can have a better experience with their automobile versus, oh, man, I'm paying $750 a month and I don't know why. And so that's why we created this company, because we think there's a need in the car industry for a company like ours.
1: Boy, that's awesome. And it's bold, too. I mean, it's it's, again, it's not just uh, trying to run an existing system the same way it's always been run but rather looking at the overall reason the system exists and questioning whether it needs to be it's time for a major update or upgrade kind of a thing i love that you use some examples there like the videos and uh blockbuster versus netflix some of that so you're you're kind of sensing that there's going to be a pretty major leap forward and rather than just kind of sitting on the sidelines you're choosing to be part of that leap forward is kind of what i'm hearing
0: Well, and I I truly believe America is built on profit. Profit is not a bad thing, but trust and transparency are two of the most important items that need to go hand in hand with profit. And that's something in the car industry we haven't done for a long time. And so when I got in the car industry, maybe 10 percent of the dealers are trying to trick somebody like a carnival game, trick somebody. And I'm going to tell you, that number has gone up significantly. So I'm convinced today with the technology that's out there, the consumer can drive the process, understand the profit, that the dealership has to make some money, but at the same time have massive margin compression for people so they can be empowered to make decisions that are best for them and their family, not on what's going to pay the salesperson $1,000 and make the dealership $10,000. It's all about what can we do to take, it, to take care of the consumer. And I truly believe when you put the consumer first, not just in words, but in action, and then put your teammates, your employees, your guys, and your gals around that same mission and same goal, you're going to be successful.
1: That's great. I love that. It's So uh, amazing to learn about. And I, it, it's great, too, because I just had this realization listening to you uh, in our planning conversation off the air. Uh, we were talking about there, there's likely some type of link between what you're doing with Honest Car and your role at Museum of the Bible. You know, they seem very disparate. You know, there's a great distance between them. And I think it's really what you just talked about. It's that desire to live on values, like to live on solid values and to share, again, things like transparency and and, uh, integrity and, and some of the things we've already talked about. But ultimately, that's what the museum seems to be about as well. It's wanting to look back to the values of of all that we're built upon as a nation, again, regardless of our faith, but rather just uh, trying to connect back into our heritage. Um, I don't know. Is, do you feel like that's accurate? Or how would you elaborate on that, if, if at all?
0: Oh, you know what? I don't. We we'd take six hours to answer that question, and I probably wouldn't even scratch the surface, but. You know, I believe, Spencer, you're blessed. I'm blessed. Those that are listening to your podcast are blessed living in this country. We've been given a birthright that is just something that is no one else in the world has ever experienced, number one. And then number two, we've got a systems of checks and balances in our country. And I think that as we as we look at our country, I think the museum has a tremendous um, responsibility, number one, to be able to teach this information And be able to get out there and share why this history works the way it works. And the more information that we can get out so that the average American can learn about this is really what it's about. Um, In D.C., we've got actually a Disney style ride at the museum. And uh, you go like you're on a drone and you go throughout the buildings in D.C. and you see the Ten Commandments that are on the Supreme Court. You see Bible verses that are written in various places and various buildings and how the Bible played such a significant part of the founding of our country. We have, and I'll just share with you, the uh, uh, Magna Carta is starting on display July 1. And uh, we know that we would not have the Magna Carta without the Bible. And America wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Magna Carta. So when you look at how things are intertwined and how important it is, I think that really is the message we're trying to get out to Americans, that they need to understand it for themselves, not just what Channel Two says or Channel Twenty Two says on the evening news. It's truly go back and find out for yourself the facts.
1: Well, and the more I'm getting to know you here, Mark, the more I realize that you are just one of these di- positive disruptors. Is kind of how I would <laughs> how I would describe <laughs> you. I hope that's fair. But you're not you're not afraid to shake the. Shake things up a bit. And, you know, one of the bigger issues, you know, you talked about, kind of get, again, going back to how the car industry is and, and will continue to evolve. But even more important than that, how we've kind of moved away as a nation. We spoke about this before as well, that we're less, less bold sometimes in talking about our values and our beliefs. How can we do better there? How can we bring our values more to life? I mean, again, you talked about how the, the fact that throughout Washington, DC, just as one example, the presence of of those strong beliefs and core values and even Christianity are there. But sometimes we, we shy away in the collective sense. We shy away. Uh, what, what's your counsel, I guess, to us? Uh, if, if you could just
0: speak to the whole nation. <laughs> Obviously, that's a big. big uh, <laughs> but what do you say there? How do we do better? I think, you know, the best way I know how to say it is I have a very good friend of mine that is extremely liberal. Now, we agree on about 70% of the topics that we see in the news today, 30% we disagree on. But we go skiing together and we fight and get loud and wrestle back and forth like crazy. But then we stop in the warming hut, have a beer and a piece of pizza, and, and enjoy each other for who we are and respect each other for who we are. It doesn't mean we have to compromise and say, yes, I agree with you. It means we respect. And I think we've lost that ability in America to have good, healthy debate, even very spirited debate, but then come together and let our kids date one another, let our kids marry each other, respect each other, and win win the discussion by bringing people together and showing them we care about them. And I think we've missed that, and we need to get back to that role.
1: I think there's a ton of wisdom in, in the simplicity of what you just shared. Just this idea of seventy percent and thirty percent. But we don't have to agree on everything. It doesn't need to be the goal of complete compliance, so to speak, no. uh, or, or 100% consensus, but rather we can, we can uh, stand on the common ground,
0: but also respect the uncommon ground, I guess you could say. Sure, sure. And I think that's important. I think that people, in order to have debate, we need the debate. We shouldn't be silenced and say, um, you know, you can't talk that way because it's discriminating. You know, I don't believe that per- people can be black, white, purple, green. It really doesn't matter. We're all still people. And we need to be proud and help each other, lift each other up, not push each other down. And when we do that, people know, people can sense it. It's an innate power that we all have. By doing that, I think you're going to attract quality people around you in business, around you in life and around you, whether you go to synagogue or you go to church, you're going to attract great people around you. And that's what it's about. That's a powerful life.
1: I agree 100 percent. So what about uh, action then, you know, as you're aware here at the end, we always like to try to kind of draw out one specific action out of, I really like what you just said, that we can lift each other up. Uh, How do we do that in a a practical sense, in the sense of uh, today, how can I go and lift my team in a more effective way and be more respectful and and more aware that it's okay to have differences? We can still go skiing and (laughs) we can still be united without having to be completely in alignment.
0: I, you know what? I think the number one thing is I, I need to do better at is listen. I think we need to listen to those around us and what their goals are in their life. When we listen to them, when we listen to our teammates, when we listen to the market, that is really what's going to make us successful in business. And by listening, we can we can find a way to make our company grow, to make our company Uh, change. As you mentioned a moment ago, you know, honest car payment is a major disruptor. My banking friends, if you'll permit me, Spencer, hate me. They absolutely hate me right now. My dealership friends, most of them are making fun of me. Mark, you're leaving millions of dollars on the table. Why would you waste all your time and your energy? You're nuts. So when I look at people pushing down on me and, and saying I'm doing it wrong, I know I'm doing it right. And so that's what I'm chasing. And whether that is with honest car payment for my teammates that are there or the Museum of the Bible, which is really my passion, because the more pressure I get pushing me down, the more I know I'm going the right way.
1: Amazing. I I love both of those things that you really just emphasize, the listening well, and then also the almost a confirmation that we're doing something right. If we're, if we're feeling resistance, uh, (laughs) there's probably something we're, we're doing that's actually right on. So uh, I I love both of those explicit and implicit uh, action we can take. Mm -hmm. So, well, Mark, uh, any final words for us before we say goodbye? Just so grateful you could join us today and happy to leave you, leave you with the final word.
0: Oh, Spencer, I'm so honored to be here. I appreciate what you're doing. The fact that you're getting out, you're supporting our country, you're lifting families up around you. And you know what, you're doing a fantastic job. So I'm number one, I'm honored to be on here. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Two, we live in the greatest country in the world, and America is, is great because America is good, is a great way that I've heard it said before. And I think that what we need to do is support each other right now and lift each other up as Americans. When No matter where you're at, whether that's in the recreational world today or whether that's out on the beach here in Hawaii barbecuing, let's reach out and love on each other and appreciate each other for their uniqueness.
1: That's a great way to end, Mark. Hey, once again, really grateful. I hope you have a great day in your tropical paradise out there in the Pacific. And I'm uh, just so blessed to have interacted with you today. Thanks a ton. Come see
0: us, my friend. You take care now. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.